Welcome to Women Read Scripture. I'm Mariana Richardson. And I'm Christine Thackeray. And I'm Heather Moore. And Heather, we're so glad that you're here with us. Do you want to just introduce yourself a little bit? Sure. I live in Utah. I am a mother of four adult children and quite a few pets at my house. And I write a lot of historical fiction based on biblical or Book of Mormon. And I also do just straight historical fiction. Okay, I have to ask, tell me what pets you have, because I am a dog person, and okay. I'm stuck with a cat that I love, but it's my daughter's cat, but I'm still stuck with it. What pets do you have? So I have a grand dog. It, she is a golden retriever. Oh. She's three. And then we have three cats in our house oh, right now. very so. fun. That is so cool. Oh, that is wonderful. Keeps you busy. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I don't have any pets, so I'm so, <laughs> but that's okay. Today, we're going to be talking about miracles, and I just wanted to start with a, a story that I was reading about uh, Jonathan Taylor told this story, and it's his personal story about how he had had a, a horrible accident that caused him to be completely paralyzed, and he said after, well, you know, after this horrible, horrific accident, he was reading in the New Testament all the miracles that were happening. And he said, and he started questioning, how come one of those miracles didn't happen to me? You know, how come I wasn't miraculously healed? And then as he read and as he pondered and he thought, this is what he said. He said, being healed of the effects of sin is the greatest miracle we each receive in our lives, all because of Jesus Christ. And that was his answer, was that... He wasn't healed miraculously, but he did heal in terms of his spirit, in terms of not feeling that kind of anger about the fact that he had had this accident. So I just, I know that you're going to be talking a lot about our miracles today, Christine, but I do think it's important for us to kind of keep that in mind, too, that the greatest miracle is the miracle of our Savior. I, I love that you said that because there's so many miracles we don't have in detail right? where he, multitudes come and he heals them all and he heals so many people and we don't. But the ones we do have in detail often teach a lesson. And these five that have been kind of chosen out from the Come, Follow Me manual especially do that really well. So I thought we'd kind of play a game. I'm going to put you two oh, on the games. spot. <laughs> and okay. I'm going to kind of tell the one miracle and tell me what you think the lesson, because these miracles are almost like parables yeah, that teach are. lessons. So the first one, and we actually talked about it last time, was... Um, Oh, no, I lied. That's the third one. The first one is a leper. And the leper, this is a single leper, and it's in Matthew 8, 2 through 4. So it's mm -hmm. just two short little verses. And um, the leper comes to worship Christ and says these words, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. So he doesn't say, heal me. He doesn't do anything like that. He just says, if thou wilt. And Jesus says, I will be thou clean. And then he tells him to tone Tell no man, I had <laughs> this show, but show yourself to the priest and then offer the sacrifice that's required, which would have been two birds. Mm -hmm. And um, and, he, and so what do you think? And that's all it is. It's just this really short one. But what do you think the lesson is from this? I think the first lesson for me is just that this leper had that faith mm -hmm. um, that Christ could heal him and that all he had to do is ask, which sometimes is hard for us. Right. It's just to take that leap of faith and ask for healing. 
But I also think that if thou wilt, mm-hmm. if thou wilt, is also such a strong statement of faith in that even if the Savior didn't heal him, he would still have faith in the Savior. And sometimes that's a harder statement mm-hmm. than, than heal just me. heal me, right, right. It, instead of if thou wilt he- heal me. I think yeah. of Paul in 1 Corinthians when he says three times I prayed to have this thorn removed from my side. And it never was. Right. But God's strength is shown in weakness. Mm-hmm. And that willingness and submissiveness is something that I always struggle with. But um, the Lord agreed to heal him. And sometimes the answer is no, but sometimes it right. is yes. So I agree. it was beautiful. And then I love at the end that he tells him still to follow the law of Moses because mm-hmm. the law of Moses had not yet been fulfilled. Right. So um, the next one is um, that a centurion comes and tells Christ that his servant is sick at home and asks him to heal him. And Christ's response um, says, sure, I'll come right away. And it's just so cute because he's like, no, you can't come. And then he tells him that he orders people around. And so um, he says, but speak the word only and my servant will be healed. And it was so fascinating to me. Well, I'll talk about it later. But um, then Christ says, many shall come from the east and west and sit down with Abraham in the kingdom of heaven. And many of the children of Israel will be cast out. And he goes thy way, and as it, well, Christ says, "Go thy way, and as thou believed, so be it done." And his servant is healed, healed in that very hour. And so, what is the great lesson in that one? Well, to me, the lesson is that we can have healings and miracles and blessings, maybe by proxy sometimes. Oh wow! Or we can pray for someone two thousand miles away, and that prayer can be answered. Right. That's a good one. Well, and this also reminds me of an experience we had in Brazil. When we first came to Brazil, uh, a man came up to us with his daughter, and his daughter was in a wheelchair, just completely non-responsive, you know, and they had been to many, many doctors all over. We were brand new. This is at the very beginning of our mission. People didn't know us. And this man came up to, to Steve and said, please give my daughter a blessing you know I I have the faith that Mm -hmm. if you do that a miracle will happen and so Steve did and honestly it wasn't Steve's faith as much as the faith of this man that said I know you know this this will happen because Steve you know he did it and it was a beautiful blessing and but he didn't really think about it I mean he was trying to run the mission after that Mm -hmm. and then um, about a year later we were you know, in the same ward that they were in. And this beautiful young woman comes walking up to him, just, you know, gorgeous, completely different than what she was as kind of this kind of shriveled girl that was, Mm -hmm. you know, was totally unresponsive. And her father was with her and said, this is, this is my daughter that you gave the blessing to. And both Steve and I, it was a miracle. And I feel like it was very similar to this miracle and that this man had the faith Mm -hmm. that, you know, Steve had the priesthood power to be able to cause this miracle to happen in his daughter's life. And really because of his faith, you know, she she was made whole. Okay, this is just such a fascinating exercise for me because 
I came up with something totally different, which is just, but, but each one had so much meaning. But for me, the fact that he wasn't part of God's covenant, that he was in essence, not a member of the church. And I think sometimes we feel like because we do have priesthood authority and we believe in it, that we feel like other people's faith doesn't have that much power sometimes, which is not true. That as people rely on Christ, whether they have a fullness or whether they have a peace, it's that relationship that can create faith. And so as we meet other people, their faith has power and and can produce great miracles. And clearly, when we get to the other side, we're going to be shocked when we see who's there and who's not there. Because he says many that didn't have the gospel are going to be sitting with Abraham. Oh, exactly. And many who have it have that, faith. that may be really awesome aren't going to be there because they don't have that connection. So anyway, that is so interesting. But each of yours were exactly <laughs> true, that it was his faith for another and this beautiful experience. Okay, so Peter's mother-in-law is just the teeny tiniest. It's like a couple of words yeah. where um, Jesus arrives at the house and he sees Peter's wife's mother sick with fever and he touches her and she arises and ministers unto them. And that's all it is. It's a really quickie. I love it. It reminds me of the Book of Mormon and the story of Ammon when he is teaching the Lamanites and the king and the queen and they're on the ground and then they have their own visions and revelations and then they rise and start to minister to their people. I oh, love wow. just the imagery of that. That is, I never would have gone. I was thinking of him going directly and, you know, after he mm -hmm. killed all those people, just going to work directly. But you're right. As soon as they rose... They they're concerned. They went right. Mm -hmm. Oh, good one. No, I think that's really powerful. I like the fact that he cared about the women. You know, he cared oh. about you know this this woman. And and I think um, you know, my heart always joys in the fact that when we get these stories about women being healed. And I know we're going to talk about other women that have been healed in this in this section. But for for me, that was also the lesson that the Savior loves women and that he very specifically heard that this woman was needing some help and he went and healed her. So it's, again, this is such an interesting game. You have to play it with your friends because I thought sometimes Martha was the better one than Mary, mm -hmm. that sometimes she didn't sit at the Savior's feet and listen to him. She actually ministered, got the meal ready, and did, did the work. She did. And sometimes that's what's required. Sometimes you just have to show up and clean the church. Sometimes it's just you have to do the work. And so I, I thought that was But the miracle was that he made her strong enough to be able to do yes. the work because she couldn't do the work. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. And the Lord strengthened her. Okay. So we all know the story of the man that's carried up and they rip the roof open because mm -hmm. they can't get close to the press and then um, the scribes are there kind of watching and he says thy sins are forgiven thee and the scribes think that Jesus is speaking blasphemy and he on they only think it they don't say it and then Christ reads their thoughts and says is it easier to say thy sins are forgiven thee or you know pick up thy bed and walk and so he says arise take thy bed and walk the man does and he is healed. And it says, he took up his bed and they were all amazed. So what do you think is that one? And we, we've we reviewed that one a lot. What do you think is the great lesson? Well, there, I think we see this happen over and over in the New Testament where 
Jesus performs the miracle of rise, raising someone from the dead. I think in this case, you see um, everybody is surprised and shocked. And then this kind of also starts, I think, the rumors and the message of what Christ can do. Because I feel like um, early on in the New Testament, when he starts to do those miracles, then people start to follow him. Mm-hmm. And they throng him and the news spreads to different towns. And so then we, we, then we find these other miracles of people that have already heard of Christ and they know he's coming. And so they prepare themselves to go repent and ask for his forgiveness. Oh, and it really was one of those moments where there's the throng and then they mm-hmm. all got to see close up this right. miracle where so many of the other miracles are kind of personal. Wow. Only people are private. Know. Mm-hmm. Right, I private. had never even considered yeah. that. You're fun to play with. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and my thought and feeling about this one is the fact that the friends, this person needed help. Mm -hmm. You know, he he couldn't go to the Savior on his own. Instead, he had to have friends that helped him have this miracle happen in his life. And sometimes friends are the ones that help us have the miracles in our lives. They're the ones that help us get to a place where we can have a miracle. I love that. And that's the one that I thought, ding, 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 ding. Woo, I finally got one. <laughs> but um, the one about the friends is it was four friends mm-hmm. that bore him up. And you wonder how long they had to walk. And then it was their idea right. to rip open. And then in verse 5 of, um, oh, this is Mark. So this one's in Mark 2. And in verse 5, it is so cool that it says, when Jesus saw their faith, not his faith, but their faith. The so it was the same right. as the centurion, right. but it was their faith. And um, I do think, do we have four friends that will be willing to carry us on a stretcher? <laughs> you know what I mean? For an extended period of time. Do I have four friends that would do that? Oh, two, that's two a here. good question. Oh, that's here. Here. <laughs> We need two more. <laughs> we do it, Heather. Answer, right? <laughs> I love that. But I do think we need to make sure we surround our people uh, with ourselves with people that lift us yes. as no, opposed really to just point. sometimes it's just the people we feel like we need to help, but we need people that will lift us in our well, lives. Well, and think about social media. I always concern, I'm concerned about our young people in terms of what happens to them you know, emotionally when they get on social media and the downer sometimes mm-hmm. that they have. And I love that idea of even on social media that we try to find friends that will lift us up, right. you know, when we're looking at those texts and, and those Instagram posts and those. Right. Other but I think yeah. even on social media, we need to have friends that we can face and touch and are mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. when we fall apart. So especially with, us. Right, right. with young people, sometimes their friends are so far away or high school friends. Right. Live on no, the I'm other not side. putting down social media because I right. do think it's, it's a positive. It's, it's a positive support. If it's used positively, right, right. but it can do the opposite too. Right, and not lift. That's absolutely true. I love that Mother Teresa said, we can do no great things, only small things with great love. Mm -hmm. And oh, sorry, I shouldn't cry, but I just think that's what you're looking for is people that truly love you. Okay, the withered hand. We talked about the withered hand last time. And the thing that's interesting about the withered hand miracle is the scribes are watching, ready to accuse. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So unlike before where it's kind of like, ooh, I don't know if you can say that. Kind of like when you're in a Sunday school lesson, you're like, ooh, is that correct? But um, (laughs) Sorry, I shouldn't have said that, but it's true. You know it. (laughs) But um, they were actually planning, like sitting there ready to accuse him. 
And they watched if he would heal on the Sabbath day that they might accuse him. And that's in verse 2. And then um, the poor little withered hand man is sitting there in the synagogue on the Sabbath. He never says a word. We don't have a word, but he was in the right place at the right time. And he says to the um, man, stand forth. And then the scribes, and then he turns to the scribes, Christ turns to the scribes and says, is it lawful to do good on this Sabbath? And it says that he's angry because the hardness of their hearts. Mm -hmm. Because they don't say yes or no. And so then he turns and he says, bring forth your hand. He heals and restores the hand. And um, that's all. It's a very short, again, not a huge, long miracle. So what do you think the lesson of this one is? Well, first of all, Jesus didn't need to ask the Pharisees anything or the scribes anything because he already knew their answer. He already knows their heart. Interesting. Um, Also, I feel like a withered hand, that to me, that would be a really big miracle. If I had a hand I couldn't use, I mean, my whole life would completely change. So computer writing. And sometimes we think of the bigger miracles, raising from the dead or the blind, the, you know, sight restored, which are obviously amazing. But even a withered hand can completely change your life. Well, and I think when I read that story, because in in the that's the Mark version, right? That is Mark three, right? In the Matthew version, the next verse is that it caused the Pharisees to t- turn to madness, you know, mm-hmm. over this experience. Oh, you're right about and, the madness, right? And so the the other thing that I learned from this experience is that sometimes we'll see miracles and other people's lives, and rather than rejoicing right. in the miracle that sometimes it will be more of a, well, how come I didn't get that miracle? How come I, you know, how come my family didn't get that miracle? Wow. And we, we, I wouldn't say it's madness, but in some ways it kind of it is. is, you know, it is. It's, it's that same kind of a feeling of, you know, how come that person got a miracle? It's like when people are dealing with infertility or have recently lost a baby, not that I've ever felt this way, but then you see someone else who has a healthy baby or the child is restored and you do. You just want to stab hurts. him with a fork. Well, Sorry. No, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> you shouldn't do that. <laughs> I didn't. No, I won't. Yeah. But you, you, you just, you ruminate on it and right, you, you stew on it. And then and it's if, an imp- and if you and keep the doing happens. that, then you, then you become right. more obsessive about it. It does. And yeah. it's not about comparing. So again, I thought my big thing was that he didn't ask the Savior. He was just in the right place at the right time. Oh, yeah. And I thought of the people at Bountiful that felt inspired to go to the temple when Christ comes to those um, Nephites, you know, when he mm-hmm. first comes in the Book of Mormon after his resurrection. And I think sometimes we'll have a hidden wound. And because we do the right thing at the right time, because we go to the temple, something incredible happens and we are healed. And those are beautiful moments. And I just think for him, he didn't ask. He just was in the right place. But I, I would like to just say, too, we don't know what was in his heart. Right. And I just can't oh, imagine so that cute. that he would oh hasn't prayed, ha- oh, and prayed. prayed and prayed and you know in his heart wanted that miracle. I love that. And so I think sometimes the way we ask will be different too. Oh, and we so don't ask with words. We ask with, with well, prayer and that goes and into the prayer. last of them. Okay, this is the last <laughs> of them, the widow of of Nain, and um, the widow of Nain. I was like. Do I know this story? So you probably know. And um, so Christ is in Capernaum, and the next day it says he goes to Nain, and he arrives at the gate as a funeral procession, procession passes by, and he has compassion on the widow, and he says to her, "Weep not." 
And then he heals the sun, and the sun rises, and then it doesn't have a lot after that. So what do you think the widow of Nain teaches us? It's, I was like, I have no idea what the value I of think, this one is. I think that the Savior knew her greatest need, and maybe another widow, her greatest need wasn't what this widow needed, but she needed, for some reason, her son to be raised and for to be taken care She's of. She's so good. She, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I'm just throwing I it agree. out there. <laughs> I agree. I do also think, I go back to this, his understanding of women. Mm-hmm. In that, um, given the society of that time, especially she was a widow, so she didn't have you know, a husband to take son. care of her. And right. this was her only son. Right. And the Savior would have understood that this right. woman really needed that son so to So either she becomes a servant, her. becomes a beggar, mm-hmm. or dies of starvation. Or a harlot. That's her life. You know, right. I mean, that's, you know. Well, depending on how old she was. Yeah. <laughs> hey, well, you know, <laughs> some men don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, I am. Um, <laughs> it got me giggling. Um, anyway, I didn't know that the city of Nain is 30 miles from Capernaum. And so he would have walked 30 miles after his experience in Capernaum, and it probably would have been through the night. Mm-hmm. So when Christ left, and it's uphill the whole way. And um, Keith Wilson wrote a 2019 Ensign article about this, which was really interesting because he said he walked with a group of young people who were very fit and it took them over 10 hours to get there and it was exhausting. So Christ would have had to know um, her sorrow. So he didn't take compassion on her in the moment. It would have been the day before that he had heard her crying and had gone and it was there in the exact moment of their need. The other thing they said is that after someone dies, as they're sick and dying, the mourners come and then they bury them within 24 hours right. because it's, it's so such hot. a hot climate. Right, They'll just right. stink. The... So he had only barely passed. Right. So he had been there just right in the moment of the need. And that, that saving right in the moment is so beautiful. Um, I love that... President Monson said, one day, when we look back at the seeming coincidences of our lives, we realize that perhaps they weren't so coincidental after all, and um, that just that he got there just as the funeral procession was there, that coincidence. So I have to tell my biggest coincidence miracle in my whole life, and you've already heard it. It's a good story. It's the great <laughs> vomit story. miracle. Oh, goodness. And it's <laughs> I mean... Vomit story. I know, I know. I know. But I thought it was that same thing where I was desperate. I was praying so hard. So I have seven children, and we got it was the stomach flu, and it just went. Everybody got it, and um, it wasn't food poisoning. It was really the stomach flu because other people had gotten it before, but um, but everyone was sick, and I had cleaned up so much grossness, and I was just so tired. And then I, in the middle of the night, I started feeling ill, and I knew I had it, and I was so sick. And so I'm laying there so sick at my wit's end. And you know where you're just like, Heavenly Father, just not one more thing, I'm dying. Right. And Anna comes running upstairs, my daughter, and says, Cameron threw up. And he had the throw-up bucket, because we have, I don't know if you right. guys do a throw-up oh, bucket. Yeah. Yeah. But he was on the top bucket. bunk, and he moved, and the throw-up bucket fell off the top bunk. Oh, and she no. said... Off the top bunk, and you need to go get it. And the whole time I'm going downstairs, I am just praying 
maybe not with the desperation of the widow of Nain, but maybe because <laughs> I'm just like, I just can't handle it and I'm too weak and I have all these children and Greg's gone because he would go for these long trips two weeks gone and two weeks back. And I just, the whole way down, I'm praying so desperately. And I get down and they're like, so sorry, mom. And I go and I lean over that bottom bunk and look and the throw bucket, which is like a mixing bowl right. that has a handle on it, had wedged right between the wall and the bed, and there wasn't a drop wow. that was out of it. And it was full. And it was just <laughs> <laughs> And it was just like It's the bomb oh, miracle. <laughs> and it's one that we like rehearse in our family that the Lord is watching over. That when you're at the edge, when you're desperate, oh, as this woman was, and she was of course more long-term desperate than I was. I was short-term desperate, but it was such a great miracle. It was such a joy. And the Lord can be there at the moment you're ready to break, you know, where just at that moment and lift you right. in that moment. No, that so is, that's that was a, a fun great game reminder. and you guys that's are good. Reminder. That's why they're here. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, I know that we're going to talk about another miracle, too. Heather, do you want to talk about the, the next miracle we're going to talk yeah, about? Yeah, so really quick, I just wanted to talk about Mark chapter 2, verses uh, 15 to 17, where it says, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick I come not to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. So this is Christ's answer to the publicans, and um, when they— or Christ's answer to the scribes and the Pharisees when he eats with the publicans and the sinners. And I love this because this really defines his entire mission on earth mm-hmm. and why he came to earth is I love these words that I am here to call the sinners to repentance and, um, and I'm here for those that are sick. Well, and I'm just thinking, yeah. who among us is whole? Yeah, we no all one. have right. Oh, we all, <laughs> We're all yeah, in a way, you know, struggle with healing. different things in different mm-hmm. areas. Right. So exactly. he's really here for all of us, just yes. for the weak parts. Yeah. And then um, the next little part I wanted to cover is um, we're going to start out in Luke 7, starting in verse 36, and then we'll skip around a little bit. But um, sometimes when I read about the healing and the scriptures and the miracles, I think, oh, I just focus on the actual miracle and the event. And it's this amazing thing to think about, this inspirational thing. But then I wonder, okay, let's backtrack. Let's, what was happening in this person's life? And I liked how you talked about the widow and what had led up to mm-hmm. that moment. And what did the Savior know about her before he traveled this year? And so once I start thinking about maybe the, the situation, the time of day, um, the family dynamics, then I really start to, I guess, identify and I really love how Christ interacts with women, especially throughout the New Testament. As we know, women were second-class citizens, and they didn't have rights to property, and, a, and they didn't have a lot of rights. But um, Jesus, uh, time and time again, sets the example of how to treat a woman. Mm-hmm. And um, so if we just read the New Testament, then we know how to treat a woman. <laughs> <laughs> so, we, so we have, and I, I say that because, you know, there's just, you know, a lot of times throughout history that that women are continually um, treated second class. So I love the story about the woman. Um, let me just read this really quick. And behold, it's, okay, so Luke seven thirty seven. Mm-hmm. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. So let's just 
stop here for a minute. So first of all, she's known as a sinner. And I thought, okay, so her, her sins are public sins, and which means she's probably been ostracized. She's probably been shamed by her neighbors and people in her community. And then it says that she knew that Jesus was there. And so she had heard mm-hmm. some of these things about some of maybe some of the miracles we've talked about. And so not only had she heard them, but she had believed them and she had faith. And then she also brings an alabaster box of ointment. So she's coming with intention to repent wow. and to ask for forgiveness. And the box of alabaster is probably from Egypt. There's always that trade route going on. And ointment was probably something scented, a perfume, and it was likely expensive. Mm-hmm. So if she was in a in a position to buy it or to borrow money or to sell something and trade for it, she came prepared with that. Um, and then in 38, and he and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. So first of all, she has to get in the house. So somehow she's able to persuade whoever the doorkeeper is to let her in a house full of men and interrupt their meal. So that is going to take a lot of courage, I think. And she also presents herself. Oh, go ahead. I have, this is totally speculation. Okay. All right. But this woman had, because I completely agree with you. That's the question that comes into my mind. How did she make it in? Yeah. Now, this is a Pharisee's house. Right. And if you look at what the Pharisee says after, he says, and when the Pharisee, which had been him, saw it, he spake within himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him, for she is a sinner. Now, the Pharisee... Just to see if he's he testing her, testing well, well, no, but I'm Jesus. saying the Pharisee knew this yeah. woman. Yeah. And so you'd kind of wonder, because he... The, the Savior talks to the Pharisees about being adulterers. Right. And he's not just using that euphemistically. He's, you know, he's saying that you're adulterers. Mm-hmm. I just wonder if this Pharisee didn't know this woman. He was also a guilty right. party. <laughs> also oh, a guilty wow. party. And that yeah. might be one of the reasons why she got in so easily because he wanted to see is they is the doorkeeper knew her. Right, right. So they she wasn't her. she wasn't a stranger. No, she wasn't a stranger. Yeah. Right. And she was obviously emotional, so maybe. And I know, don't know that for a fact, but that's something I, I've always I think thought. As I've I think it's a that. good. I mean, it's very reasonable, reasonable explanation. Um, but but also if so, and the reason that she didn't have to specifically interrupt the meal and go in the middle of the circle is that they would recline on their cushions. So if you think <laughs> of cushions in a circle, and then instead of sitting, you're reclining, and so you're facing the meal, and so she could go to Jesus' feet and start washing them without being in the center of all the men. Um, but there's a couple things. Um, so she's weeping. So that tells me she has a repentant heart. Uh, she is, she's at that, at that um, point in her life where she's willing to give up her sins. And she also begins to wash his feet with tears. And, and I don't know if, um, a little bit later on, um, we'll get to the next part later, but, um, I don't know how dirty, uh, the Savior's feet, where maybe there's a quick wash when he comes into a home, but it's so. This is more symbolic than anything. I think that maybe because um, I think, well, how many tears would you have to weep? A lot. You know. <laughs> so, but it's very symbolic, obviously. And then she also wipes his feet with her hair, and that tells me that she uncovered her hair, and so that could also be a judgment against her with these men that are gathered around. Who is this woman? You know, maybe she's a harlot. Whatever she is, she's also now 
being disrespectful by uncovering her hair. But I think for her to do that, she is just showing how vulnerable and how willing she is to truly change and truly repent. And then um, kissing his feet, and we see that throughout the scriptures, of, of that is just the great sign of respect and um, humility. And then she anoints him with the ointment. I think that um, the woman, she may have more work to do. Maybe she has forgiveness. I mean, we learn like in something like the 12 steps, you know, you you make recompense with all those that you have offended or hurt if it's possible. So she might, I hope she's forgiven herself. She might have to go out and do some work, but she has that uh, forgiveness from Christ. But I love, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, is he tells her um, that thy faith, and I don't have the exact quote. Oh, here we go. Thy, so this is um, Luke seven fifty. Thy thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Right. So he's saying, because of your faith, you have now come to me, and now you can go in peace. He's not saying my faith okay, but or someone else's faith. Really interesting because you know where he says, um, "Go thy way and sin no more." Mm-hmm. To the one woman, he doesn't say that. He says, thy faith has saved thee. Yeah. And I do think the washing of the feet is so unique when you look at Christ who washed his own disciples' feet. Right. And I do think there that she was probably inspired in how to approach. And wouldn't you be afraid that that Christ would say, don't do that or push Mm -hmm. you away? Of course. And instead, I mean, I'm sure she, that crossed her mind. I know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And still, she went forward and did what she was inspired to do and... That it saved her. Yeah. It is just an incredible story. Um, but I also love that this uh, preempts the question by Simon the Pharisee, who we think is a squirrely character. Um, <laughs> so in verse 39, this man, this is, and you brought this up earlier, this man, if he were a prophet, who have known or would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And of course, Christ knows who she is. Um, I wanted to share a little story, which is kind of silly, but sometimes um, when you overthink (laughs) something, you don't see the simple. And I was writing a historical novel based on Mary and Martha and their brother, uh, Lazarus. And I was um, trying to set up the scene where Lazarus is very ill, or maybe he's even died, and uh, Mary and Martha are desperate to find Jesus because they know he can heal. Right. And so I asked my dad, who is uh, S. Kent Brown, and he's a, a biblical scholar. So I mm-hmm. thought, okay, so so should I have a messenger um, go find him? Um, you know, like, like who can I have go find Jesus and tell him Lazarus to die? And my dad said, well, Jesus already knew. I said, well, how did he know? I mean, he because I knew they're in different areas of the country, he said, because he's Jesus. See, and like with the widow. And it was like, because he's <laughs> Jesus, exactly. But yeah, yeah. So, so when you have Simon the Pharisee saying this, she's a sinner, and Jesus wouldn't let him her touch him if, if Jesus him. knew. Jesus knew already. Mm-hmm. So it, it, just, it just was a testimony to me about how Jesus knows each of us individually and... Um, and he's ready to heal us when we're mm-hmm. asking. I agree. It's beautiful. I love that. And and I do think that goes back to, you know, our miracles that we talked about and the greatest miracle 
is that of forgiveness that, that he gave that wonderful woman. Well, the next thing that we're going to talk about is actually doing the will of God. And so in some ways, it's the story after in terms of this mm-hmm. woman. What's going to happen to her after? Right. And that's kind of what we're, we're going to talk about next. Instead, I want to read two scriptures that when we first read them, they may seem a little harsh. And so mm-hmm. I would love your input as to why do you think these two kind of harsh scriptures are, are also in our scriptures. The first yeah. one I'm going to read is Matthew 8, 18 through 22. So in Matthew 8, 18 through 22, Now when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart unto the other side. And a certain scribe came and said unto him, Master, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And another of his disciples said unto him, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said unto him, Follow me, and let the dead bury their dead. Now that seems a little calloused, you know, for the Savior to say that to this, you know, a disciple who I'm sure was suffering because his father had died. I want you to think about that, but then I also want you to put it in the context of Mark 3. We're going to read Mark 3, verses 31 to 35. And for me, these two kind of go together, but I would love your input as to how you think they two go together. There came then his brethren and his mother, and standing without sent unto them, calling him, And the multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brethren? And he looked round about on them which sat about him and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother." So that also may seem like kind of a, a callous statement, too, because mm-hmm. here his mom is coming to talk to him, and they're all saying, hey, your mother's outside, and instead, you know, this is my mother, this is my brethren. So I wanted to ask you, what are some of your thoughts about the combination between these two? I do think that there is a correlation between them. So what what do you think? I, I think I just... Just reading it and not really deep diving into it, um, I feel like he is saying, what are, the more, what are the more important parts of life? Is it more important to follow me or to keep up a, a family tradition that's incorrect? Um, and, and we, I mean, we all have, have heard stories or know people that are, have been converts to the church and maybe that has fractured their family relationship. And how do you tell yourself that's okay, and how do you live with yourself thinking I've hurt my parents um, by following after the Savior when they don't agree with what I'm doing? And so it really, do, it really does take that, I think, that testimony and that spirit, of that pioneering spirit in order to do that. And that's, that's the correlation I see, but maybe I'll add more later. No, I, I love that. Did you have any thoughts, Christine? Well, I was thinking as you were saying it about that idea of our word family, mm-hmm. that that it's more not about 
about dissing your family as it is about loving those that you're surrounded with and loving them as though you're part of your your family, that you have them in the same regard, that you include them. And I think there's a way that the Lord seems to plop us in areas we need to be mm-hmm. and surrounds us with people that we do feel an that affinity kinship. to. And we may not even like them that much, but we really feel that that bonding to them. True. You don't you know have that, to like someone to care to about them. them. To have yeah, them be your them. mother. Or your, very true. Right, to have that same love. Sometimes that's it, mm-hmm. it's the bonding that makes you interact with people. <laughs> well, and wouldn't otherwise. for me, these two kind of go together because it helps us understand what it truly means to follow him. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. You know, like in the first one where, where they're saying, okay, I want my comfortable home. I want mm-hmm. to, you know, enjoy being where I am. And he said, well, follow me. I don't have a home. You know, come follow me. You know, you don't know where you're going to live if you follow me. And then the other one, you know, uh, what what should I do? I want to bury my father. And he says, no, come follow me. This is more important. Right. And I think all too often doing the will of the Lord is more important, mm-hmm. but also sometimes it means that we're going to have to give up something. Right. And that's awfully, you know, really difficult sometimes to give up. As you said, to to join the church, there are many people that have to give up their family, that have to give up some of these, you know, they have to give up their home. I think of stories of uh, when we were in Brazil, stories of people that were baptized that were literally kicked out of their home. And they, you know, they were like foxes without a Mm -hmm. home, just like he was describing. And so I do think that we have this... um, and the way he says it, you know, especially he uses it as a command. He says, follow me. And for me, that is something as we do the will of God, then, as you said, others who also do the will of God, they do become my brother, my sister. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that in our church, we call each other brother and sister because that's what we become as we become a part of the church of God, the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yeah. We're brothers and sisters spiritually with each other. Now, one of the interesting things, if you go to, to Mark 4. Just go back, yeah. though. The oh. thing I did want to say is that in these moments, the priority was following Christ. But often, if our family is is making good choices or is feeding us, there's times where we have to say, I'll do this later, but right now I need to follow the Lord. Right. And so it may have been in that moment that what he was talking or lifting mm-hmm. or working with the people, they were more important. So it it isn't always that you have to put your family away, but sometimes your priority needs to be the Lord. I agree. Yeah. And I think he was also maybe teaching his mother and his brethren a lesson too. And that might have been, you know, Sometimes it is more important that I'm teaching other people. Mm-hmm. I might not be able to come and respond immediately. Um, right. And and having a, a husband who's been in leadership positions, um, all, you know, all the time I was with babies, I can honestly say there were often times mm-hmm. where I had to understand. Right. I can still remember a Christmas Eve, you know, where, oh. and I had all these little babies and. Um, you know, and Steve and wasn't there, and he's called to do something, and mm-hmm. and he was a very young bishop, and we were very young. We mm-hmm. had four children, and the oldest was three and a half. I had my yeah. fourth baby on mm-hmm. our fifth wedding anniversary, and Steve was bishop of a very large ward, 
And I can still remember a Christmas Eve where mm-hmm. I'm here with these little preschoolers wanting to have you know, that, mm-hmm. um, that time together as a family, but somebody needed him. And, and so the other thing that I wanted to say is in Mark 4, yes, we're going to be talking about parables specifically and how the Lord uh, uses parables later, but I did want to just point out that sometimes when we're reading the scriptures, even the Book of Mormon, mm-hmm. that originally this was one story. And so sometimes when we read it in chunks and chapters, we kind of stop at the end of the chapter and don't see the connection between one chapter and the next. But sometimes if you can just read it all together, everything kind of goes together more, uh, you know, synchronously, and we begin to understand, honestly, bigger things about some of the, the points that our beautiful writers are trying to say. So here in Mark, if you notice, the Savior just said that comment about, for whosoever shall do the will of God, the same as my brother and my sister and my mother. And then he goes right into four different parables. And as I was reading these four parables, the thought that came into my mind was how these four parables really are examples of what the Savior was trying to teach them, that doing my will is is more important. That's something that we should put a priority to. So maybe I'm going to play Christine's, <laughs> Christine's game Uh-oh, again. No trouble. <laughs> because all four of these parables are ones that we know extremely well. Mm-hmm. But I would like to just ask you, how do you see these parables, these four parables, as being related to this idea of doing his will and sometimes doing his will in spite of other things that are going to tag and and pull us and tug. Um, So the first one is the parable of the sower. Now, we all know the parable of the sower extremely well, but um, I just wanted to point out at the very end in his explanation, this is all in Mark Mark 4. Mark 4. This is uh, verse 20. You know, well, I'll start with verse um so this is his explanation you know after he's said it and then they say okay we don't know this parable please explain it to us but at the very end he says and these are they which are sown on good ground such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit some 30 fold some 60 and some and 100 and he said unto them oh so i want to stop there that's where i want to stop how does the parable of the sower have to do with this idea of doing the will of the Lord. Because these, you know, these seeds are thrown out to different places. And he does talk about the the good seed going on good ground. But the interesting thing about that is how does the seed pick where it's going to go? How do, how do we take this and say, you know, doing his will? Because the sower just throws mm-hmm. seeds. So um, what do you think? about that it could be like getting a church calling that you're not sure if you like it or you will do well in it but then as you faithfully try to accomplish your church calling then you eventually see okay now I understand why I was put into this position and I see where I'm learning and I'm growing even though I might be among thistles and rocks (laughs) exactly for for me the thing that just really struck me is if I put this into this I must do his will, then I become the good ground. Mm -hmm. So I'm not the seed. Instead, I'm the seed that gets to decide which ground I get in. Or you can look at it as 
all right? A seed is put in a certain, you know, is thrown, strewn, you know, like a sower would do. But then I have the power by doing his will to become mm-hmm. that good ground, to become that place where that seed <laughs> can can grow. I just think we just... Um did a big retaining wall and did a garden area in front of it. <laughs> and all the stuff we brought in and a lot of manure we brought in to make that good ground. Okay, see? And I think that's <laughs> what you did. Put up with right? a lot sometimes of manure it to takes. become good ground. <laughs> vomit miracle. That's right. <laughs> and vomit is good manure. You're wrong. absolutely right. Sorry. So, so for me, that really was helpful to understand, you know, to kind of look at it in a different way. The next one is the candle under a bushel or a candlestick. And that's just the next verse. And he said unto them, is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed and not to be set on a candlestick? For there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested, neither was anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. So how does that idea also have to do with doing his will? You know, becoming part of his church, becoming his brother, sister, mother. I think that so often we can just be a candle in our own little home, surrounded by our cute little children that we love to death and just playing our own. And we're not shining to the world. And it takes a little effort. Under the bed. Especially, I know, especially in our, in our world today, you can do everything. You can order at Amazon so you're not at the grocery store and you can make your whole life. Well, COVID, we all kind of live that way, right? And so to go back and be part of the world and actually interacting and making those efforts is is a challenge, takes work. It does. I agree. I think sometimes it just, it kind of reminds me of, you know, hiding your talents or not using your talents. Okay, make me feel guilty because I haven't. (laughs) Yeah, but but you know how, but the Lord knows your talents. And so sometimes you get, you get a calling or you get an assignment or even a situation happens in your family. You said, I don't know why this trial is happening to me. I, you know, I don't know how to deal with it, but the Lord knows you that you are stronger than you realize. And the last two um, also have to do, it's amazing how many of these have to do with seeds and sowing and harvesting. But the next one was the sower needs to harvest when the harvest has come. And and I love that because <laughs> like it's... Like the time. Exactly, the timing. Because all too often, I think sometimes we're... Time is really important here on this mm-hmm. earth. Oh, yeah. And timing is important. Sometimes we're like, we don't have enough time. I don't, I never have enough time in a day to accomplish (laughs) everything that I need to. And I think that's the purpose. So why would it be hard? Why is it sometimes hard for us to harvest when the time has come? What, what kinds of things stop you from harvesting when you should be harvesting? An example came to my mind that I haven't thought of in like 30 years. So here it goes. It shows how old I am. But when I was at BYU, my very first assignment, we called it Visiting Teaching, then now it's ministering, was to minister to this girl. And um, I was saying my evening prayer. And I was all ready. I had my pajamas on. And as I, as I knelt, the Lord said, you need to go visit her now. And it was like midnight. And I was like, no. And it was like, yes, Christine, go visit her. So I actually changed out of my pajamas I put on real clothes. I went to the door. I opened the door, and they're standing ready to knock. Is this guy I really liked that had never asked me out? So, <laughs> so Christine said, what? 
no, I have to go visit this girl that I don't even know at midnight. That She's probably asleep. So, of course, I didn't. I was like, come in, come in. And I was all dressed. And I thought, oh, that's why the Lord told me to do it, so I'd get dressed. Oh. So I oh. sat and we talked until way too late because I love to stay up late. And, um, and then he left. And then I went to sleep. And the next morning... The Lord was like, Christine, you need to go see her. So I went to her apartment. This is going to make you so sad. And she had left BYU because she felt she didn't have any friends. And you were like, so sad. But you have to go. Did you get a date out of it? No. And he wasn't (laughs) even that good a guy. He couldn't do math. So anyway, but... um, Anyway, I had well, the lines then. But it, the point is, when the moment is, you yeah. need to go when you're called. You can't wait. So I'm going to read this because I do think it goes right along with your story. He says, For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately, immediately, he putteth in his sickle because the harvest is come. Right, you have to and that we we have to do it immediately, and I think that Make that is priority. so powerful. When when we know when the harvest is there, when you know the Lord puts that in front of us, we have to do it. And then the the last one is the the mustard seed, and how just a grain of mustard seed, and it is like a grain of mustard seed, which when it is sown on the earth, is less than all the seeds that be in the earth. But when it is sown, it groweth up. And becometh greater than all the herbs, and shooteth out great branches, so that the fowls of the air may lodge under the shadow of it. So the thought that came into my mind also was the whole thing, by their fruits ye shall know them. That the Lord truly is trying to help his people understand. It may seem a little brash, it may seem a little um, uncaring, but really it's the opposite. What he's saying is, I want you to do my will, I want you to do the things that that are eternally important rather than being so worried about the things of of this world or the immediacy that sometimes we get too involved in and for me these parables kind of reading them along with that you know the end of mark 3 going into mark 4 just kind of brought these parables to life in a way mm-hmm. that i had never thought of before in terms of parables that exemplify this idea of becoming part of the family of Christ hmm. and what that truly means in terms of these these different things. So I did want to just share um, just one quick quote. This is from President Nelson. Attacks against the church, its doctrine, and our way of life are going to increase. Because of this, we need women who have a bedrock understanding of the doctrine of Christ and who will use that understanding to teach and help raise a sin-resistant generation. We need women who can detect deception in all its form. We need women who know how to access the power that God makes available to covenant keepers and who express their beliefs with confidence and clarity. We need women who have the courage and vision of our mother Eve. Now for me, that is the essence of these four parables that we've been talking about, but also that is the essence of becoming part of the sisters of Christ, if we want to say. We become Mm -hmm. a woman of Christ. We become that person that has that foundation that we talked about actually last week. It is so powerful in my life to think of women who have become my sisters 
women, because we've lived all over the country. We've lived in Brazil. We've lived right. in a lot of different places. Mm -hmm. And yet I have sisters in all of those places that have become part of my family. So I, I love this part of the scriptures. And now, yes, we have this wonderful foundation, but we still have storms that are ah. going to come to us. <laughs> and how is that foundation going to help us to calm those storms? Okay, I turn the page and I find where I'm supposed to be, right there. So, um, okay, we're in, and I didn't even write down where it is. Anyway, well, it's in a couple of different. Places. I know it's is in a it couple of different places. No, I don't think it's. I think it's just one. Um, anyway, I wanted to start by talking about the Sea of Galilee, and you probably know this story because it's. I mean, the, <laughs> this situation, but the Sea of Galilee is seven hundred feet below sea level, mm -hmm. and it's quite close to the Mediterranean Sea. It's just there's these uh, the hills of Galilee that mm -hmm. are on the one side, and on the other side is the Golan Heights, which are twenty five hundred feet, you know, above sea level. So it's when you're in the Sea of Galilee, it's like a complete basin. And I love the, um, the hills that have the little caves in them where they kept the bounty. You know, mm -hmm. I love those ones. I'm like, oh, I want to go search those <laughs> caves one day. I have a dream. But um, anyway, so it, it's this basin. But what happens is it gets quite warm. And the only air when the wind is blowing from the east because of the Golan Heights, the only air that can get up and over that mountain range is cool air. And so because you have the warmth and the cool air, you get these sudden storms that can just turn into huge storms that can be up to 10 feet tall with the waves because it's not a very deep sea. So it's like the Erie that it, it can have these huge sudden storms. So at the very... I just want to say, we were on the Sea of Galilee mm -hmm. when one of those started. Oh, really? And it was really interesting because we were on a boat and it was like you could see the horror in the person's face. We've got to go. We've got to <laughs> We can't stay on it. Yeah. So, They're um, very, no, it was very, very dangerous. It was really interesting how right. you know, it is dangerous. It is, it is very dangerous. So what fascinates me, though, at the beginning is the Lord has been teaching a multitude, and then he suggests to the apostles, let us pass over unto the other side. So the reason they're in the boat during the storm is because the Lord tells them to be. And to me, that is significant. So then they, the storm starts going, and Christ is asleep on a pillow. And they come and they say, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And, um, and, and there's four questions that are asked. And so mm -hmm. Christ wakes immediately and calms the storm. And then he turns to them and asks the two questions. Um, first of all, why are you so fearful? And second, how is it that you have no faith? And then at the very end, they turn to each other and ask, what manner of man is this that he can calm the seas? So we wanted to cover those four questions. And the first one is, carest thou not that we perish? And I think that when life is crazy and struggling, that feeling of carest thou not that we perish? Like, do you really care, Lord? And when you're in the middle no, of... Oh, I think all of us have felt that in a prayer. You know, do, do you really care about me? How can this happen to me if, right. if you cared for and me? And relating back to what you talked about before, you see someone else, you know, with this huge miracle in their life or these blessings that you don't have, I think it just kind of perpetuates that. Right, yeah. right. And so it wasn't that they ran to ask him, 
Right. It was that they were like, you don't even care. Like, why didn't you come up and see us? Why wasn't I the widow of Nain where you found me? So, um, but anyway, I love that um, Lisa Harkness said, this is a mortal tendency, even a temptation. Mm -hmm. When we find ourselves in the middle of trials, troubles, and afflictions to cry out, Master, carest thou not that we perish? Save me. Even Joseph Smith pleaded from the awful prison Oh, God, where art thou, and where is the pavilion that covereth thy hiding place? Certainly the Savior of the world understands our mortal limitations, for he teaches us how to feel peace and calm even when the winds blow fiercely around us and billowing waves threaten to sink our hopes. And I do think it's about hope, Mm -hmm. because hope is that I am not cared for, that I've been forgotten, whereas sometimes we have faith that Christ can do it for Mm -hmm. someone else. But you just don't care about me. Right. And so that that's amazing. And then the next thing he asks is, why are you so fearful? And then right after that, how is it that you have no faith? And fear kills mm-hmm. faith. Mm-hmm. It does. When you're so afraid, it kills faith. It just takes hope. And hope and faith are intertwined. And so right. once you stop having hope, you stop having faith. And, that, and you can let fear, like extinguish your yeah. faith. And I do think that's interesting. Elder Rasband and Be Not Troubled talked about as disciples today, we have too many fears and we do live in a world of fear. Our single adults fear making commitments such as getting married. I told you I have all those unmarried right. boys. <laughs> young um, widows fear bringing, oh no, young marrieds fear bringing children into the world because the world's increasingly wicked. Widows fear going alone. Teenagers fear being not accepted. Major We fear failure, rejection, disappointment, and the unknown. We fear earthquakes and hurricanes and fires that ravage the land and our lives. We fear not being good enough. We fear that God has no blessing for us. We fear change, and our fears can escalate to terror. And um, I wanted to talk about my drive down here from Rexburg. Oh, it was scary. It was very scary. It was very scary. So um, I do think I was... I drive down, and as I was coming down, I had looked at the forecast, and just like when Christ said, let's pass the other side, and it looked good, Mm -hmm. it looked like there was going to be no snow. So I had left a little bit later than I should have. I left in the evening, and I started on my way down, and I got to Income, and the snow was just falling in sheets. And you couldn't see the road. You couldn't see the edges of the road. And there's a place where the sides of the road are the same as the road itself, so you didn't even know if you were driving on the, the highway <laughs> and <laughs> there's a point where i'm just like why why are you doing this i'm trying to come down for them i'm trying to be a good girl and do good things and um and i was a little bit like carest thou not that i perish <laughs> so i pulled off at the next exit which was at mccammon and i pulled off at the uh, traveling day there and i was like what should i do and it was about 10 minutes to eight o'clock and i was sitting there going what should i do And I just felt really strongly I needed to get a hotel because I was so freaking out. It -hmm. would be better for everybody. So I went to actually, it's so funny, the Harkness Hotel. And I wonder if Lisa Harkness is the same on Peace Be Still. That's funny. Maybe she lives in McCammon and (laughs) she knows this world. So um, I went around the corner to the hotel and there was a woman. She said, it's a good thing you got here because I was just about ready to leave. 
And it's the only hotel that's like close by and you sure. couldn't drive very far. And I just had a little sedan. I didn't have a four-wheel drive. So I pulled over and I got in and I got this beautiful broom and the mattress was soft and it was just mm. so joyful. So and he then calmed your storm. He did he calm calmed my your storm. storm which is and it great. was such a gift. I just, it was so great. And as I went as going upstairs, you could hear people knocking on the door because she had left right after. And I was so great that, grateful that I had felt so inspired to go immediately because you know how often you just chew on it so the next morning I go back and there's four or five cars that had spent the night mm. at the traveling day well, because yeah, <laughs> you couldn't could. drive in it right. and it was only if I had been able to drive another 45 minutes I would have gotten to a place I would have been over it but it was just so dense there but I do think that sometimes the Lord can guide us I in agree. a way that we can uh, he didn't still the storm right but he 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 gave me a safe place and he gave you hope to me too. and he did right. give me hope right. and he made me feel like he did love he you. did this for me he loved <laughs> me i did feel loved and it was such oh, a gift I'm so glad so i wanted to ask um if you have had moments where you felt like the lord had calmed your storms or calmed you in the middle of a storm that he didn't calm because he doesn't always calm the storm yeah sure i i remember one time our family was going through a really big struggle and there was like nothing that anyone could do until the next morning. So, of course, that means you don't sleep all night, right? And I was mm -hmm. just thinking, you know, there, I mean, I had prayed and prayed and prayed, and I just thought I have to sleep, or tomorrow I'm just going to be a wreck. And then, of course, that brings on more anxiety because you can't sleep. So, I just put on my little ear, earbuds and I turn on Be Still My Soul. Oh, and I, did, I think I played it like 20 times. <laughs> But I just remember playing it and feeling like, you know, Heavenly Father is watching over me, even though I feel like, you know, everything is out of control right now. But he will um, he will somehow take care of it. And I had no idea the answers at that point. But that just listening to that song and mm -hmm. and, you know, the music and the lyrics and just focusing on, you know, the Lord's will is what really helped me. So I can remember when I was a, a, a young mom, and like I said, life was crazy, and all these little babies, and I was pregnant with um, with number five, and mm -hmm. I had these four little ones. You know, the oldest was four, so they're all preschoolers. Mm -hmm. And the next day, I wasn't feeling well. I mean, mm -hmm. I was about to give birth, <laughs> and yet I the next day I had um, I was supposed to take a dinner over to someone. I was supposed to um, take care of another person's children for the day because she, she needed to go somewhere. And then there was like two or three other things mm -hmm. that people had asked me to do. And, and at that point, I was always saying yes because mm -hmm. um, my husband was the bishop. And so I just felt like that's what I was supposed to do. But I can remember that night just literally crying mm -hmm. to the Lord, just saying, Lord, I can't do this. I'm physically completely at my end I can't I can't take care of another four children tomorrow and mm -hmm. I can't make this dinner for somebody and I can't do it well I woke up the next morning and I got a phone call from the release study president saying oh this person doesn't need you to take care of their children you know something else happened mm -hmm. and then another phone call oh I don't need the dinner you know somebody else is taking care of it and another phone call and another phone call and it was such a stark reminder to me that the mm. Lord answers prayers. But the interesting thing that came into my mind 
every single thing was taken from me. And that day was here. It was going to be a day so full of people. And now all of a sudden, because of my prayers, it was empty of people. And the thought that came into my mind was, well, Lord, I would have liked to just have one <laughs> A little too calm. <laughs> a little, you know, it's a little too calm. I, you know, I would have liked to have talked to one person. Right. But I do think that the Lord does hear and answer our prayers, especially when we come to him in those times of fear, those times of he will calm our souls. Right. He will help us to find that hope. Well, I want to thank you both for this amazing discussion and this help for me in terms of making sure that my foundation is strong in our Savior, Jesus Christ.